0: was a kid, I only knew of one other student in our entire junior high whose parents were also divorced. Now it's probably just the opposite. Well what does God say about all that? Here's Pastor David
1: We have been in the series called Right Side Up, We've been studying the words of Jesus Christ In what many call the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 5 through 7. Chapters 5 through 7. And and Jesus Christ is showing us what it looks like to live the kingdom life. A right side up life. Making the distinction between the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the upside down world. And showing us what it looks like to live right side up, live that kingdom life. Today, we are going to study vows and oaths. Specifically, marriage vows, and then oaths or truth-telling. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 37. It says this, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one couple of things before we kind of get started to give us some context for the passage. The last two messages and studies that we've done, Jesus was quoting laws that were from the the Ten Commandments, what some people call the Decalogue. If you want to use that in conversation, you'll sound really fancy, the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments, Uh, and they were these, uh, Exodus 20, 13 through 14, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Those were the two that we've gone through so far. Now we're moving from the Ten Commandments into other civil laws from the Old Testament that people were using and making a lot of rules about. You know how they used to do that? they take one rule, and they'd make a whole set of rules. We still do that today. You know, Some of you know that I'm, a, I'm an attorney. We take the law that's there, and then we have 150 cases about it. Why? Because we get paid more if we have a lot of cases. So that's, just, that's how that works, right? Um, but that's just kind of the way the law works. So that's what people had done. Now uh, We are moving to this, to this other thing. And, and so as a result of that, uh, we're taking this one passage. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy. And then a lot of things were happening with it. Let's look at Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as wife, then the former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Okay. This passage is talking about... We get into divorce, the person goes and gets married to somebody else, or they get divorced, or their husband dies, and they come back and marry this other person. That passage was used to establish an entire set of rules about divorce in Israel among the Hebrews. Okay, uh, And there were two schools of interpretation that were prevalent and popular among the Pharisees at the time. Okay, The first was the Shammai school. They had a a certain interpretation, and the second was the Hillel school. They had a certain interpretation of what this meant, and the differences between those schools were found in the way that each school interpreted the word uncleanness. Okay, you can give her if you find uncleanness, you can give her a certificate of divorce. So the Shammai interpretation thought that uncleanness referred only to adultery; that you could you could get a divorce from your wife if she committed adultery. That was the only way you could get a divorce. That was their interpretation. The Hillel school of thought said that uncleanness could be basically almost anything. Almost anything could be considered uncleanness. So if a woman burnt the pot roast, now I'm not making this up. If she burned the food, that might be enough for you to divorce her over. Okay? Or maybe somebody moved in next door and you like her better. That would be something that would be worth uncleanness. Okay, so they were they were basically making it so that uncleanness could be almost anything. So you could divorce your wife at, at your pleasure, at your will, willy-nilly. Okay? Um, in, order, in order to understand the context of what's happening here in this passage, we have to understand uh, what was going on historically, or we're not gonna understand what Jesus is saying here. First of all, marriage was different then, in a lot of ways. Uh, first, it appears that generally the husband was the only one who could institute a divorce, right? So that was not a great arrangement for the women of that time, as you can imagine. Not a great thing to be in, in as somebody's wife. They can divorce you for burning the pot roast. You can't do anything. Not a good thing, okay? Um, and we know that Jesus cared about women. He cared about women as much as he cared about men. And so one of the things that's happening here is he's addressing that issue. Right? And we see that actually in several of the, of the passages that we've been reading and that we'll read, they really, do, they really are there partially to protect women who had been oppressed under this system, who are being treated poorly under this system. The second thing to notice about this passage is that uh, this teaching on marriage and, and the vows that you would take in marriage and divorce and so on, and the next part of the, the scripture that we read on oaths actually are very connected to one another. And it may seem strange to you that they are. Okay, but I believe that the whole Sermon on the Mount flows together, and particularly uh, the oath, the truth telling oath part, and the part about divorce and marriage, which has to do with vows, I believe are very intertwined. Okay, because marriage involves vows and then oaths, and they have some similarities to them. Um, in fact, if you really look back, the passage on anger and lust also would go into this section and really be connected to all of these that are happening. These are not just kind of one-offs, a bunch of separate teachings that they sort of patched together that Jesus said. He said the things he said in the order he said them for a reason. They're in the scripture the way they are for a reason. So let's talk about what Jesus said about divorce and remarriage first, okay? We just studied about the Hillel school, right? They interpreted uncleanness that you could get a divorce for almost any reason, almost any reason at all. And this was the popular view, go figure, among the male Pharisees. Um, Surprised? Uh, And so we see this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount as partially as a reaction against what's happening in the culture at the time. And later in Matthew, we actually see the Pharisees coming to Jesus and testing him on this teaching. This is what they say. This is Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? See, that's the Hillel school interpretation. For just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Okay, first question. What is a eunuch? Ready to feel comfortable, gentlemen? A eunuch is a man that has been castrated. That's what a eunuch is, Okay. For those of you who were here for our study last week, we talked for a second about Origen, who was part of the early church in the second third century, and he was believed by many to have had himself castrated, went to a doctor and had himself castrated because of this passage. That's what a lot of people believe happened with him. Uh, and so, hang on a second, I lost my place. Start talking about castration, things get a little funky around here. Um, (Laughter) Anyway, Jesus is not advocating castration. For those of you who are nervous, you can breathe. That's not what he's advocating. He's responding to his disciples' question, or rather statement, that it's just better not to marry if these are the rules on divorce and it's such a serious sin. Because what do they know? Being in a marriage, being in that relationship, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so if if divorce means you're an adulterer and she's an adulterer and I'm an adulterer and everyone's an adulterer, well, then it's better just not to marry is what they're saying. Jesus is saying, as Paul also says, that some people are called to be celibate. Some people are called not to marry or not to marry right now. Sometimes we can focus so much on marriage in the church. We do a lot of like marriage conferences and that's good. All that stuff is good. But we sometimes leave single people feeling like second-class citizens Feeling like, well, what's, you know, everything's about teaching marriages and marriages and marriages, and I'm not married. Well, here's the deal. Much the opposite is true, okay? Single people are not second-class citizens. Whether it's singleness and celibacy for a time or singleness and celibacy for life, it's actually a high calling for those who are called to it. It's actually quite a high calling. But what about those who have been married and those who have been divorced, and those who have been divorced and remarried and all of that. First, I want to make sure that we're all in the same boat and on the same page. Because it could be easy to be to say to yourself, well, I'm married, and I haven't been divorced, and so this really doesn't apply to me, right? But let me, let me help you out for a second. Marriage is the one flesh union between a man and a woman. When married people have sex for the first time after their marriage, we say they have Consummated the marriage. And the word consummate means more than just married people having sex. Here's the definition from merriam-webster.com. consummate. It's a transitive verb, if you're wondering. To make marital union complete by sexual intercourse, consummate a marriage. Here's what else it means to finish, to complete, to make perfect, to achieve, to become perfected. It means to finish. To complete, you've perfected something. You've made it perfect. So sex, this is really important. Sex is the implied completion of marriage vows. Whether it happens inside of marriage or it happens outside of marriage. When you have sex, you are implying the completion of marriage vows. Let's read what the the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Here's the thing. You become one flesh with anyone with whom you've had sex. That's what Scripture says. It's what the Scripture says. So if you've had sex with someone and you were not married to them, you basically divorce them. That's basically what happened. Because you perfected in your body what should have been a marriage. Now, listen carefully to what I'm saying. You were not married to that person. Okay? That's not what I'm saying because you didn't make marriage vows, you didn't go through that process. But the heart of the matter is that you took part with your body in becoming one flesh with another person. That's why it is so serious. So serious. A lot of people think it's just not a serious thing anymore. That is crazy that in 2019, I'd still be talking about people having sex outside of marriage. Well, guess what? I talk about it because Scripture's serious about it. It's a big deal. Now, when we add to the study we had last week, where Jesus tells us that lust is adultery in the heart. If you've lusted, you've committed sexual immorality. So because we're talking about sexual immorality, at least at the level of our hearts, many more people than just those who have gone through a divorce, a legal divorce or remarriage, many people, including myself, have essentially been divorced or done something very similar to that in our own hearts. So I just want to make sure we're all in the same boat. For those of you who have not been divorced, but have had some sexual sin or some sexual immorality or whatever it is, we're all in the same boat here. We all need to understand what Jesus is saying. Let me be clear about one thing. God hates divorce. He hates it. He hates divorce. Listen to the book of Malachi chapter 2, 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence. Says the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God hates divorce. He hates sexual immorality. Whether you legally divorce your husband or your wife, or you sleep with someone that is not your husband or wife because you're not married, or you are married and you commit adultery, all of that, you are dealing with the other person treacherously. In all of those cases, you're breaking God's good plan for marriage and for sex within marriage. Now, there are the easy cases and there are the hard cases when it comes to divorce. Easy cases and hard cases. really not any easy, but somewhat easy biblically, okay? If your spouse is cheating on you sexually, they're sexually unfaithful to you, you are permitted to divorce. Jesus says this clearly. You're permitted to divorce. Recognize one thing about this. It's a may, not a shall. It's a may, not a shall. As an attorney drafting contracts, I use the words may and shall very differently and very specifically. If I say you may do something, it means you may, you can, you you are allowed to. If I say you shall do something, it means you have to do this thing. In the case of divorce after unfaithfulness, it's a may. It's an allowance. It's something that you can do. If your spouse is unfaithful, you may divorce. However, Many a marriage, many a marriage has been gloriously healed after unfaithfulness. Many a marriage. We've seen it here in this church and all over Christ's church. God can heal anything. So if reconciliation is possible, I would go for that. I would go for that if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. And I understand that. You may divorce in those cases. The other situation that's relatively easy is the case of the unbelieving spouse who will not live with a believer as a married couple. All right, this is 1 Corinthians seven twelve through 16 But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? I believe that this passage covers where one spouse abandons the other. There's not much you can do about that, right? Somebody files for divorce from you. Somebody leaves, takes off, is gone. Somebody will not live with you because you're a believer. I believe it covers that. I also believe it covers issues like abuse of the other spouse, things like that. Where you, you, to say I'll live with you, but I'm going to beat you up isn't living with somebody, right? Say I'll live with you, but I'm going to abuse you in some way. That's not living with somebody. That's abuse, right? So I think it covers those kinds of cases. Other cases on divorce are more difficult. And here's the deal. We could walk through it. I could walk through this for a long time, going through specific cases and deciding whether they were acceptable reasons for divorce. But we're not going to do that. Because here's the thing. I'm not here to provide you with a bunch of rules and a bunch of cases. That's not what we're about here. If anyone is struggling with this issue, they're struggling about a a marriage that they got divorced or they're in a marriage that's, that's not looking great, whatever... One, myself or one of our other pastors or leaders here would be happy to sit down with you and talk through that. Okay, we can talk through those things, but I'm not going to go through a bunch of specific cases because at the end of the day, like everything else in this section, this is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart.
0: God always looks at our hearts. Are we serving Him or really just doing what we want? It makes all the difference. As always, if you have any questions or comments about these episodes, please call us at 360-885-9000 or send us an email, Use info at axchurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for Part 2 for much more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.